0: Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipness. In every business and every venture, it's important to be ready for the unforeseen, those things that you didn't see coming, those things that you need to not only be ready for, but be prepared to tackle. And they say that by the time you think you need a lawyer, it's already too late. Today, we're going to learn how do you do that up front? How do you build your business? How do you have the right pieces in place in order to tackle those unforeseen issues and make sure you're ready? This is Adam Kipnis, host of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. Here we are on C-Suite Radio, so appreciate them for being a great platform for me as a Business coach and marketing strategist, my job is to help you make more money, be more prepared for your business, and run a better overall business for yourselves and for your family. Download my book at freebookfromadam.com. It is eight steps to make more money in your business without spending any money on marketing or advertising. So definitely jump on that and, uh, and make sure you get those tips. Uh, it's a really easy, quick read. Today, I'm excited really to talk about how you can do the things that your business needs that aren't necessarily revenue driving, but are super important to having the right business and the best business you can. My guest today is the official Zig Ziglar small business lawyer and a Ziglar Legacy certified trainer. He's known as America's legal coach, and for the past two decades, he's been helping Business owners, entrepreneurs, and coaches shatterproof their business by implementing specific strategies for structured growth and protection. And he wants all of his clients to grow and succeed. Scott Reeb, thanks for being here. I appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, Adam. Yeah, you got it. And obviously, the, the legal side is one of the last things a lot of businesses do, and it's one of the first things they probably should do. So we'll dig into that in a second, but I want to find out a little bit more about how you got into that. Obviously, you went to law school and you got the education you needed. Was this something you always knew you wanted to do or did you start more as a traditional lawyer that we think of working for a big law firm?
1: I've never done the big law firm thing, but I did start out fairly traditional in law, but my entrepreneurial journey really started um, right after college. Um, I have a marketing degree from Southwest Baptist University and was really interested in doing marketing and advertising. Uh, But in 91, when I graduated, the the economy was uh, not great. And there really weren't jobs like that for someone that was just right out of college. And so I ended up in sales, which was fine. um, And started and even then trying to find real jobs was tough. And so I ended up with, um, I've been an independent agent for a major telecom carrier selling their business phone systems. And so that was my first journey uh, into having my own uh, business. So I figured out a few things there on how to sell to my to the market that I had. And then I found something in their computer system that would allow me to generate contracts for um, warranty uh, deals that were expiring, send them in the mail, and then do follow-up with those, with those clients. And most of them, 75% of them would sign back up. I get paid on the uh, total premium. And so I kind of had this mailbox money coming. Uh, and so I was I spent most of my time doing those contracts on my dining room table. The, um, the company figured out that I was doing a really good thing, but they didn't like having to pay me the commission. So they took my contract away from me, gave it to a minimum wage person. Um, and so I had my first um, bad entrepreneurial experience uh, also. That kind of, I did what every red-blooded American would do. I decided I'll go to law school. So that won't happen <laughs> again. And so off I went to the University of Oklahoma College of Law. Spent three great years there, learning, um, uh, learning all the legal stuff, and then uh, went to work in traditional law firm, where I did litigation. We were doing high end uh, federal litigation on copyright, trademark infringement type cases, um, and truthfully, that wasn't real exciting to me either. I really wanted to be more uh, where the rubber meets the road, where I felt like I was helping
0: people. That's awesome, and and it so your, your first entrepreneurial experience really was not something that you, that you planned on. Nope. It just appeared. So when you did, it was, I mean, you were flying by the seat of your pants a little bit.
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, they, yeah, I, my recollection is that I had 90 days with a really some sort of a small base where I basically was a temporary employee. And then at the end of that 90 days, it was all me. Um, Yeah, we were. I was young. We were married. We didn't have a lot of expenses, so the risk was low. Uh, But I had I had to I had to go find find uh, find the deals and skin them, or I wasn't going to make any money. Um, And so that was brand new for me because everything I'd done before, I was getting you know paid by the hour. So that was a different experience, and I liked being reward for rewarded for producing value instead of trading those hours. Um, But I also didn't like the other end of it where where they were able to pull it right right out from under me. And so that was kind of a wake up call. I did, I did enjoy it. The flexibility was great. Um, I had more flexibility in my time than anyone else I knew of our friends. I could pretty much make my own schedule. Um, And so I knew then that I enjoyed that part of it. And my dad had always worked for a company. He, he, he was in sales um, and had some flexibility, but he wasn't um, the boss. And so he couldn't just do whatever he wanted to. I did enjoy, That part of it, I just been able to do pretty much whatever I wanted to when I wanted to, and so eventually I was able to work back around to that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I started almost the same way, where I I I was in the financial services industry and I had a sales job. One of the things they don't tell you about a sales job is it really is your own business. You have to create leads, you have to work them through the funnel. You probably have to manage your expenses, whether even if they're corporate expenses, you still have to manage to that. In in that, how did you when you finally started your own business, post law school, post working for the law firm, how did those experiences translate and make that that jump easier than it might have been if you didn't have that first experience?
1: Well, um, mo- most lawyers don't believe they're in sales and don't want to be in sales. I had no problem with it um, because I had done it before. I knew how to do it. I knew how to prospect and I knew how to do a sales presentation, how to do closings. And I've been I'd been through some really good sales training. And so that part was really um, easy for me. And so um, after the first year of practice, I was a partner in that law firm. I was a partner in two other law firms before I split off and did my own. So really since 1997, I have been an owner of a business in one way or another. And that's, uh, so that's kind of always shaped how I have thought about things. I've always had an ownership mentality rather than an employee mentality. But I will say it was it. While it was I was an owner, it wasn't the same as it all being on me. When in 2005 I decided to go do this thing all by myself and do it my way, that sounded great, um, and it was. But then everything again was you know all on me. Like you said, I, I had to do the I had to prospect. Then I had to close the deal. I had to do make sure the deposits were made. Right, it was all the stuff uh, that Michael Gerber talks about in the E Myth that I didn't really realize how many hats I was gonna to have to wear to actually run a law firm.
0: Well, and you also got rid of billable hours and, and translated that into, into sales, which is a very different line of thinking than you probably had in those first eight years as a partner in the law firm.
1: You bet, and it was really different than the first, uh, we're at 15 years now with this firm, the first eight years of that firm, um, I was just billing as fast as I, you know, as fast as I could. I was actually, when I started this firm in 05, I was so busy with the work that came with, with me when I started the firm that I forgot to bill for 90 days.
0: <laughs> one of the things every business owner uh-huh. has to do. It's another one of the hats you have to
1: wear. And so I ended up staying, all, uh, doing an all nighter, uh, to get my bills out. Um, I, I didn't have billing software. I didn't have any, so I had to create it all in Excel. Um, it was kind of a nightmare, but we got it all out. And then I, I never did that again. So we started building on a, I now build. I have ever since then build on a two week basis, uh, instead of monthly we bill every two weeks. And so it keeps everyone informed and really they know what's going on with their cases and where they stand financially. But then, in uh, I started having business owners that really could not afford, you know, to pay me a retainer, uh, and then pay me, um, you know, my, the going rate. They just, you know, new business owners just really couldn't afford that. And so I would have them talk about, well, I wish there was some way that small business owners could act, have access to the stuff you do because you're doing really good stuff. And so that really stuck with me. And in 2012, I hired my first business coach to help me develop um, a different model to serve small business owners.
0: And I, I think that that transition and that that learning is one of the things that we all go through as business owners where things creep up, opportunities creep up, but we also see sort of the flaws in in our own model. And, and one of the challenges for law firms, I've got uh, a brother and a sister, both who are attorneys, and one of the challenges is it's almost always a little bit late once we hire an attorney, right? We Something has happened that leads us to an attorney right? versus always having an attorney as part of our team, how did you help your clients, and how do you help your clients understand that need? They're paying for something that they hope they'll never need, but they really need it.
1: Yeah, it's a, It really does take a paradigm shift to to grasp what we do because you're right. We're we're the we're. like to say we're the preparing for the hurricane. We're buying the plywood before the storm comes, before the weatherman even says it's coming, and so it does take a real forward-thinking uh, entrepreneur, or someone that's been through a recent fire and, and now realizes that had they had the counsel up front, they either could have avoided that problem or greatly minimized it. And so those people are very quick to make the paradigm shift. And a lot of people can't make it. Um, a lot of conversations I have will end with, well, that's really not a nice plan that you offer, but I've never needed a lawyer in 20 years, so I don't see why I would need to pay
0: pay you now. <laughs> Understood. Well, we, none of us, none of us, well, as entrepreneurs, many of us, I would say, believe we're sort of infallible and that we're a little bit bulletproof. And uh, and so we, so we don't want to think about the bad things that come. So a- as an attorney, how can we as business owners not think about, Hey, this is for something bad, but there's also a lot of good that an attorney can do from you without having to get sued or without a lawsuit coming to lead the way. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. And I I consider myself a legal coach and the idea is to prepare your business so that when this thing, when these lawsuits come, because they say that uh, two thirds of all small business owners are in litigation at any given moment, which is kind of, it's just a little scary, but it's just, it's not if it's, when's it going to be you that you're prepared so it doesn't destroy you. It's a process that we call shatterproofing your business, so that it's like your car windshield. When you're driving down the highway, you know every day there's rocks hitting your windshield. Well, they don't come through the glass and hit you in the face. They mark your windshield or crack your windshield, and then you can go address it when there's time to address it. And so we want your business to be set up in a way that when the bad things in business happen, they mark your business dashboard, and then we're able to come along and address that with you in a way that's um, efficient and cost-effective. And so to do that, you have to be proactive. You have to go see your primary care uh, doctor instead of the emergency room and make sure that you're putting the right business structures in place. Are you using the right corporate entities to protect your business and your your, uh, business assets? Do you have the right things in place to protect your personal assets? Are you using the right kind of written agreements in your business that uh, protect you? um, from, um, maybe from your vendors or make sure that you're protected from your customers so that you can collect whatever it is that they've promised to pay you. It's, it's some simple things like that, or even maybe that you have to have, um, you know, in your employee system, you have a interview system so that we're never going to ask different people, different questions. Everyone's going through the same thing. So we don't set our stuff up for discrimination lawsuit, right? There's just things like that, that it's not, None of it is rocket science. It's just stuff that doesn't, um, it doesn't generate more money for me. So as an entrepreneur, you instinctively don't do it. Um, But it is the thing that can make sure that you keep the money that you're making. And so you have to make that paradigm shift and understand, because my mission is to make sure that as a business owner, you build profits that will last because it's just too easy to be taken away. And there's trolls out there looking for reasons to come after you.
0: You're listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA Podcast. My name is Adam Kipnis, and we're talking to Scott Reeb today at ReebLaw.com, R-E-I-B, law.com. And he's got um, a, a landing page specifically for you listening to the show. It's ReebLaw.com MBA, where you can get um, a time to meet with him, you can get his book, and you can learn more about what we're doing. He wants to show you how to treat your lawyer like a primary care physician rather than a an emergency room and if anyone's been to the emergency room we know the difference and you talked a little bit about structure there there are so many things right we we get our business we get our llc or corporation and we're often running as business owners because we think that we've got the the corporate shield and it will protect us but there's a lot more to it correct that's
1: uh, that's right and a lot of people are they're trying to do the right thing by creating that corporate shield, but they're maybe going to the wrong place to do it, and so they're getting a real, um, a real weak shield. So what I see a lot of people doing is they, the first person they go to when they start their business is a CPA, which a CPA or accountant is a very valuable strategic partner and you should, should definitely have one, but they're not the right person to help you set up your legal structure. They should be part of the conversation uh, from a tax standpoint, but they're not the, per- the right person to give you the advice on what type of protection you need or to do the legal documentation. And so what you end up with is a lot of entrepreneurs have a certificate from the state saying they have an LLC or a corporation and then they've got a tax ID number from the feds and they think they have their corporate shield. Um, they missed a couple steps, they didn't do an operating agreement, they didn't have an organizational meeting uh, and they didn't capitalize their company and so, If they ever get sued and get into a collection of a judgment, the questions they're gonna start coming to them in what's called post-judgment interrogatories, where they're asking them what assets they have. They're then gonna ask them those questions of when did you form your company? When did you have your organizational meeting? Who are your, if you're a corporation, who are your directors? Who was the first director? Who's the second? When were these elections happen? And these are things that most entrepreneurs have no way to answer because they didn't do it. They, didn't, they were never told that, there were, that it was important, and so suddenly the shield they thought they had starts to fall down, and then everything that they've built is exposed.
0: And it's such a, it's such a deep subject. We can, we can go down a lot of rabbit holes. I wanna take you down a quick one. We yeah. won't go too deep. But most startup businesses, and even, and even um, single-person-owned businesses, Run their business and their personal lives almost together and sometimes not intentionally, but they may write a check for a non-business expense out of their corporate account, or they may rightly pay for a business expense back to them personally, but without the books and records and without the, the resolutions to back that up, you really didn't do it legally even if you meant to do it correctly, right? That's correct.
1: Yeah, you've got to have everything documented right, and the and there's there's ways to do it, especially if you're if you're using the limited liability company, the LLC, for instance, because it's so flexible in the way that you write your operating agreement that you can really set that up and document it right, so that what you're what like the the transactions you were describing are um, are lawful and that they're not um, they wouldn't be something that would expose you to your corporate shield being being pierced. You've just got to document that correctly. And then on the other side, you have to, the books also have to to be done right. And so if you do, for instance, write a check uh, out of the company for a personal expense or a debit, you know, use your debit card for a personal expense, you got to make sure that gets coded in your accounting that that was an owner, owner draw or disbursement and not a business expense because so that that's really clear that you're at least keeping track of what is, which one is uh, business and which one is personal. Then the best way is to try to keep them completely separate, but it's very difficult, um, especially if you're a solo entrepreneur, because the the lines between business and personal really kind of get blurred in this new um, this new digital economy. So it's just your those lines are sometimes not clear.
0: And so it's really important to have someone like Scott on your team because one slip up may not take you down, but it could cost you a lot more money than had you engaged him in the beginning. And another thing that happens with entrepreneurs is we begin to create different things. And, and in, in my world, when I started, right, it was just me and my brain and my mouth, right? I can help other businesses through a consulting and coaching way. Mm-hmm. But now I've got two books and I've got this podcast and I do some speaking. And those are different businesses but there's intellectual property that we might not think of intellectual property right we think Microsoft and Apple have intellectual property but little old Adam or, or, or somebody who's just working out of their house doesn't have it but we all have it and we need to think about it differently correct
1: that's right everyone that's creating some things has intellectual property and you've you know for you've got a couple of different kinds you have a brand that uh, you should be trademarking if you haven't um, so that that's protected The only way you can protect that brand really is to have a, a, you know, a trademark issued by the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Otherwise you could find that maybe you're building on someone else's brand because you thought your idea was original. You thought your name was um, the first one to ever use it. And then you find out a few years into it that someone else had it. You're infringing on their brand. And then suddenly um, they're coming after you. The other thing is that things like podcasts, um, maybe you're doing your blogging, those all have copyright. Uh, attached to them, and it attaches immediately under the co- what we call common law. But if you ever want to stop someone from using your stuff, you have to have registered it with the United States Copyright Office before you can go after them for infringement. And th- none of those things are are difficult to do, um, but most people don't take the time to do it. Um, and you should mark your stuff so that people know that you consider it to be your brand. So you should use if it's a trademark the little TM next to it. Uh, if, it's, if it's something that's copyrightable, like podcasts, songs, um, books, then you'd want to have a copyright notice on there telling people that that's your, your material and they shouldn't uh, wow. use it without p- giving permission.
0: And uh, so many good things there. So much that, that a, a lot of us don't do, don't even think of, don't even know to think of. And there's probably people saying to themselves, well, damn, I, I haven't done any of that. Is it too late?
1: No, it's uh, it's almost never too late. Uh, once you're in litigation, it can be uh, close to too late uh, and you have to maybe start over. But no, you have to start where you are, get with a legal coach and start working on it. You can't do it all at once. You don't have uh, the, the time to take care of it all or probably the cash, right? It's always a matter of those two things. But just at least coming up with the find where the holes are and create a list, prioritize it and work with your legal coach on filling in those holes and you just one by one start taking care of them. And then you can breathe a little easier because you'll know that your business um, is a lot more solid and will stand up to attack, but you just have to start. It's uh, it's not too late, but you do need to start.
0: And so how you would, you would mention that in a traditional law firm or lawyer uh, client relationship, there's usually a retainer, and then an hourly, and some people are like, I don't have 10 grand plus $500 an hour to do all of this stuff. Let me make some more money before I do it. But you created a different model. Tell us a little bit about how your model works versus the traditional law firm model.
1: Yeah, um, we we created a subscription model, right? So our clients pay us for a specific bundle of services. We have three different levels. And so they know exactly what their monthly fee is, their investment, um, and what they're gonna get for that and then if there's something that's not included in their plan then they by being a an access vip they get um they buy the rates much cheaper they get a discount and so we do things in our in our plan like we do a call every month with each client we call them check-in calls where we're making sure that they're what I call keeping the business between the lines right there's not been a problem so we can you know we can make minor adjustments if we need to it also just gives them a time to uh, have our undivided attention where we're totally focused on their business because they can all do SOS calls to me and the team if something comes up. And then they've got my attention, but I've just come from something else. I'm getting ready to go to something, you know. And so they don't have my full attention. But during those checking calls, we're completely focused on their business and building our relationship with them so that they have trust in us. Uh, it's like when you go to a new doctor. Um, you may have heard great things about them, but you don't really know them. You're not comfortable. You're sometimes hesitant to fully disclose every symptom you have or everything that's going on with you, but the more comfortable you get, the more you tell them and the more they can help you with your health. It's the same thing on the legal side. And so we try to really spend a lot of time with each client. And then, um, you know, we help with contract reviews. Uh, we create um, agreements for them that are custom. A lot of lawyers, um, draft contracts and agreements that no one in their right mind would sign, right? Those aren't good for business. Mm Um, you can protect something so well that no one will do business with you, and so we will always try to create friendly, uh, friendly agreements that guide people towards doing business with our with our customers. Um, and we, you know, and then we kind of tweak those along the way as we find as we find objections from clients or areas that maybe your problems because it's a continuing conversation. Where traditionally, um, an entrepreneur would go hire a lawyer and say, "Here's what I do. I need you to create a contract for me." Okay, and then you go back and do business with that contract. Well, maybe it seemed like it was perfect, but things have changed in your business or you've gotten some feedback. Well, now you have to go back to to a lawyer or another lawyer, have them completely start over. With our access plan, it's a continuing conversation. So you can change your contract almost every day if there's some kind of feedback that comes back that that you and your legal coach are like, yeah, that needs to change, let's change that document so that it's fluid and works for you. And so by having that on-demand access, you're able to be totally flexible with your business. The other thing we do for a lot of our clients that it's not really, um, really even a legal service, but we'll do uh, strategy calls with them where they've got a maybe they've got a problem client that they need to go they they need help resolving the problem and they don't quite know how to approach it, and so we can walk them through uh, the strategy of trying to resolve a dispute with a client to keep them out of trouble. The other thing we do is um, help help our clients fire or discipline employees. That's a real tough thing for um, small business owners to do because in a, in a business of let's say five or 10 employees, it's everyone's pretty close. Um, It's kind of, it can be very emotional and hard to do that. And so we can do a coaching call with them before they have to go in and make that hard call um, and walk them through exactly what they can say, what documentation they need to have signed. And that kind of thing can really go a long way to giving a business owner peace of mind that they've done that correctly.
0: I love how easy you make it in because all of the things you just mentioned are all things that we go through every day in business. And on the employee side, a lot of people will say, well, I'll use a contractor because then I don't have to. I'll deal with all the lo- all the laws that they're, they're not right. my employee but that's not always right because there's a whole new set of laws they have to learn to have a contractor correct that's correct and
1: sometimes uh, you're misclassifying them one of the biggest mistakes small small business owners make and even you know even bigger business owners say you know that maybe have 20 30 employees will think i can save on that payroll tax if i just call everyone independent contractors I'll even have them sign contracts saying they're independent contractors. But then I tell them to be there at eight. They can leave at five. Here's your tools. Here's how you do your job. Show up for the training, show up for the safety meetings. While well, those aren't independent contractors, those are employees. And at some point, some, someone in the government is going to figure out that you've misclassified them because one of them is going to get hauled in front of an audit and they're going to say, Oh, I, they should have been holding my taxes out. I was an employee. And then you're in trouble you have to go back and pay both sides of that payroll tax plus the penalties and interest. And guess what? It's not, you can't even bankrupt out of it. You're stuck. You've got to pay it. So I get, I get wanting to save that payroll tax. Um, I've probably even been guilty of it. Um, you have to be very careful with it. It needs to be, and you need, it needs to be always a very short term solution and you need to classify people correctly. Had this conversation. It's an ongoing conversation with a company that's in, it's growing rapidly, they're in multiple states, but their model was to use independent contractors um, because it gave them a lot of flexibility um, and it kept their cost down. But it's given them other problems and it's, it's exposing them to this huge potential liability and trying to talk them through what now is like a $70,000 a, uh, a year change. That's what it will cost them to convert these people to employees Um, would have cost them almost nothing if they'd done it five years ago and they wouldn't have even noticed it. But now it's a big deal. Um, And so early in your journey, uh, entrepreneurs make that choice to classify people correctly and just get used to paying that payroll tax. Uh, It's just a cost of doing business. And so most people are going to have employees not independent contractors. The, the default is employee, the exception is independent contractor. And if they are independent, you should you can go to the IRS site. There's a 20-point test. Go through that. And if you if you read those 20 questions and still think they're an independent contractor, okay, then call them that. But if you have any doubt, then they're an employee and you better start setting up payroll
0: and just you just gotta get used to it. Yeah, and this is this is a big deal right now because some of you out there may be Uber or Lyft drivers. All of you out there have probably been in Uber or Lyft, California just changed their laws and are I guess they didn't change their law necessarily, but they, they enhanced their laws and there's going to be a big a big issue with dro- taking an Uber or driving an Uber in California with exactly what you're talking about. Okay. It's crazy. And, and the gig economy has really brought this to light and many of us use gig services or we are gig services. Um, In our businesses and to do it right is so important. So Scott in the last few minutes There's there's a lot that that you Taught us about today and a lot of different directions We should think about it can be a bit overwhelming and that and that's why you and your team are there to help make it Make it simple. But where do people start? Like what should they be prepared for before engaging your services?
1: You know, it's a there's not a a ton of prep work, right? You just need to uh, come to come to the session uh, phone session or a zoom session, ready to be transparent and actually, um, talk about what's, you know, how your business is set up and where your risks are and what keeps you up at night. You know, what do you worry about or, uh, or what does your significant other worry about? Sometimes that's even more important. I know as a, um, as a, as a male entrepreneur, I sometimes, I don't have a tendency to worry. I just kind of think I can figure it out. Uh, or that, you know, that, um, that God's going to take care of me and it's going to be okay. My wife doesn't always feel that way. She feels the risk differently. And so it's important that you're addressing those things because it all affects your family. And so come to that meeting ready to, you know, to be transparent and let's, and just really see where are you exposed and be open to some constructive criticism that, you know, that you probably have got some things that you haven't done right. And there's probably some things you are doing right, but just be ready for that. Um, if you've got, if you have a legal entity, get those get those papers together that you used to set it up, so that those can be looked at because that's going to be kind of the first, what I guess, kind of the foundational thing for your company. Let's make sure that is done
0: right. At least we got you on a on a solid footing. Perfect. Last question for me: As now you've had multiple businesses, you know, and 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 doing things in a different way, you've learned a lot. Is there something, or what is the thing better better asked? that you know now that you wish you would have known earlier when you're starting your business? Is there something like, ah, if I had just done this in my business earlier, I'd be in a a better place, a different place or a faster pace to get there.
1: Yeah. If I would have hired, uh, faster, um, the, I've, I try to do everything myself. And not let loose of some of the smaller details. And so, if I would have hired someone faster to do the things that didn't generate, uh, weren't generating revenue, um, I would have could have moved forward much more quickly. And, but and truthfully, the probably the biggest decision I ever made as an entrepreneur was to hire uh, my first business coach, and I put that off for uh, seven years. Had I done that sooner, um, I would be in a total different universe the 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 ability to have someone look at your business from a bird's eye view and then and then give you action steps you know map um, and then hold you accountable to following it is probably close to priceless and so looking back on my journey if I could have done that sooner um, I would be a lot further along so make sure you're bringing people into your business that have uh, the expertise you need and can take the things off your shoulder that you shouldn't be doing and then find someone to help you. Um, navigate that journey because you just cannot see the forest for the trees. You think you can, um, but once you engage a really good coach, you'll be
0: amazed at what you can do. I love it. And, and that's what I do for my clients. And Scott does it on the legal side. I do it on the the marketing and and revenue side. So Scott, I really appreciate the time today, the knowledge and everything that you brought. It was great. Thanks, Adam. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. And thanks everyone for listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. Look forward to having you all on the next episode. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business at www.freebookfromadam.com.